Good morning. Well, do you remember ever having been in a cafe or a restaurant where you were looking at the menu and you were just absolutely stumped, had no idea what to order, no idea what you wanted to eat? Imagine being in that situation and the, the doors of the kitchen swinging open, a waiter walking in with a sizzling plate of food that smells delicious, looks delicious, even sounds delicious. And then they come over and they put it down on the table of the people sitting next to you. I imagine that would make up your mind straight away, wouldn't it? I would call over the waiter and say, whatever they're having, I want one of those, please. And the waiter would say, you know, with a very serious face, well, good choice, good choice, sir. You won't be disappointed. Well, that is a picture of what living as a Christian, or especially, I think, Christian worship should be like to the world around us. That's what living as a Christian should look like to the people looking at us, to the world around us, that it should be something so fragrant, so hearty, so full of nourishing life, so tasty that everybody wants a piece of it. I think that's what we'll find in the psalm that we read today. Anyway, it's going to be Psalm 96, one of these ancient songs or poems um, that you find right in the middle of the Bible. Psalm 96, Trish is going to read it for us in a second. And as we read it, I wanted you to look out for two flavours or two notes that um, keep coming back through the whole of the psalm. The first one is singing and the second one is nations or singing and the singers. What's the song about? Now you could listen out for that. And, and who is it that's singing it? One other thing to just note is this weird word, ascribe. It's not really a word that we use in everyday life, but you'll find it in verse seven and eight if you've got it open there already. Um, what does ascribe mean? Well, it means, to, it means to regard a quality as belonging to something. It means to look at something and say, yes, that really is a good description of that person. To look at a green and say, yeah, that really is grassy green. Um, so that's what ascribe means. That might help you as we read. But look out for those two notes. Who's singing? And what are they singing? Thanks, Trish. Psalm 96. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvellous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendour and majesty are before him, strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, all you families of nations, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength, ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendour of his holiness. Tremble before him, all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea be sound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes, he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and all his peoples in his faithfulness. Well, did you hear those notes as Trish was reading? And did you hear who were singing. And who were they singing to? Well, it was God's people singing to each other and God's people singing to God. 
and God's people singing to the whole world, to every person from every language, from every corner of the world and inviting everybody to join in the singing. It was as if they were spreading a table full of delicious dishes of God's majesty, of God's beauty, of God's goodness, of his truth, and then inviting everybody in the world to pull up a chair, tuck in and know life. As you see, Christianity isn't like a man v food eating contest where you're just sitting there on your own, tucking into this with a couple of spectators watching on. No, being a Christian, a Christian life, is something where we're supposed to say, this is something I can't do, I can't enjoy on my own. I can't enjoy this alone, it's too big for my plate, it's too good to keep for myself. So let me ask you right at the beginning, is that the kind of God that you know? A God who's just too good to keep to yourself? Maybe you're not a Christian, but is that the kind of God that you imagine? Or maybe the kind of God that you don't believe in, the, the God who's just too good, too good to keep to yourself? Maybe you're not a Christian and you're just dipping your toe in the water at the moment. And your question is really, well, won't Christianity just wreck my life? Won't it make things a lot harder? Well, in some ways, it will make things harder. Being a Christian is costly. Being a Christian is, um, is something that really does change you deep down. And that can be really uncomfortable. But Jesus says, I have come that they may know life and life to the full. So he promises us that when we come and follow him, though it might be costly, it will never disappoint us. Jesus will never disappoint you. So I picked this psalm to show us that, to kind of show us that God is worth enjoying and sharing, and especially to get us ready for Christmas time, because that's the time when we do that most of all, isn't it? Where we have this wonderful opportunity to sing carols, to do traditions, to, um, to celebrate all sorts of things, to a feast, and all of it comes from the truth and beauty of the story of Jesus. All of it comes from the true story that really is worth singing about, that God has come to the world and done amazing things for us. It's the time of year that we get to invite other people into this story to come and participate in it as well. So what is that good news? You remember the angels in the shepherd's story? They say this is good news of great joy to all the peoples. They sing about it and then everybody else starts singing about it. Well, what is that news? What is that story? Well, this psalm, Psalm 96, tells us all about it. It's kind of knitted, woven all the way through the song. It's a song of salvation, about what God has done. It's a song of who God is, about his character and what he's like. And it's a song about the future, about what he promises. It's a song about a king, about God as the king who saved us. That's the first thing, isn't it? They say, sing to the Lord, praise his name, proclaim his salvation day after day. The people originally singing this, they would have probably been thinking about Egypt and the great story of the whole people of Israel being rescued from slavery. But what about us? Well, we can tell stories about God's goodness to us in our own lives, about answered prayers, but most of all about God rescuing us in Jesus at the cross. That's what Christmas is all about, about him stepping into our world and dying for us, pouring out his own life so that we could be clean, so that we could have all of the darkness inside us and outside us, all the things that we've done to cause that darkness, all the things that other people have done that kind of bring that darkness upon us. Jesus steps into that and brings his light. He steps into that darkness and even dies to rescue us, to sweep away evil, to free us and clean us and get rid of that darkness inside and out and bring us into freedom. Jesus saves us. His song is a song of salvation. It's also a song of creation. That's in verse four and five. Did you see that? All the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Why is he worthy to be praised? 
above all other kinds of deities and gods and religions that you might find in the world, because he's the one who made us. He's the one who made the world. He's the real God. Then he, He's not something that you'll find in the world that you can kind of give your life to and, and then find it disappointing. As if, I don't know, imagine being back in that cafe from the beginning um, of, the, of this sermon and, and trying anything else on the menu and you'll just find that it's sort of empty and bitter tasting and the cost is just eye-watering and not satisfying, a bit like eating celery. Celery is the thing that I hate most in all the world, in the food terms anyway. Imagine eating raw celery and it just leaves this horrible taste in your mouth. You're not satisfied at all after eating, at least I'm not anyway. And then comparing that to a steak, that's what these idols are like compared to the real God, real food. Apologise if you're a vegetarian, but just imagine that. Celery versus something really tasty and substantial and nourishing and delicious, something you would want to feast on and celebrate with. That's what God is like, the real God who made the world and who made you, who's full of substance and glory. So he's the only one we should centre our lives around. That's who he is. He's the only one who's worthy of singing about because he's the only real God. So what's he like? Well, he's splendour. He's majesty. He's the king. This is the, the ascribe bit in verse um, 6 and 7 and 8. He's, he's full of strength and glory. Um, glory and strength. He's the one who, if you come into his presence, well, you would just find him beautiful. Beautiful, but also, also kind of terrifying. Beautiful because, I mean, he's the creator. So just imagine the beautiful stuff that he's made in the world. Imagine the last beautiful sunset that you saw. And just think, what must the one who made that be like? If that's the work of his hands, well, what must he be like? How beautiful must he be? But also then we look at ourselves and we think, how can I be in his presence? How can I bring an offering and come into his courts? That's in verse 8. What have I got to offer that would ever be good enough to offer to him? I, I like to think it's a bit like... When you come home, imagine coming home from, I don't know, you've been playing football or you've been in the gym or just a long day at work and you feel really grimy. You've been sitting on the bus, uh, cars splash you with water. You just feel uh, grimy and you come home and you realise the bed has been changed. Somebody has put clean, brand new, fresh sheets, hung them over the, uh, over the radiator so they're nice and warm and now they're on the bed. You can't go to bed in those sheets as you are, can you? You want to go and get a shower, a long shower, and clean off all of that dirt and then get in a pair of nice clean pyjamas. And that's the only way that you can get into those sheets and feel like you belong and feel like you're comfortable and feel like you're making the most of that experience. Well, I think that's what this is like, that God's presence is like that, clean and beautiful. That's what holiness is. It's perfect. And a person like me just doesn't really belong there. A person like me isn't holy feels like somebody who's just grimy and and so I would run away in fear. I would be trembling like it says in, in verse 9. I would be fearing. I wouldn't be singing. So how on earth can can we sing? Well you've got to look really closely at verse 9. Worship the Lord in the splendour of his holiness. Not in anything that I could wear, not in any cleanness that I could bring on myself, not in any good stuff that I could offer to him, but it, but to worship the Lord, to come into his presence, to know him and sing to him because of his holiness, of what he has given to me. You see, that's what Jesus was doing at the cross. This is what our God is like. This is the fruit of his love. This is how he shows it to us, by Jesus offering himself, not just asking us or calling us to make offerings, but by himself 
offering his only son, by Jesus offering himself to clothe us, to to clean us and to wrap us up in beautiful, fresh smelling, fragrant linen. That you just look at it. I mean, that's his goodness wrapped around us, cleaning us by his own death and by his resurrection so that we can walk into his presence and worship him and sing to him and know that that it's still a scary thing to come into the presence of a God like this. But, but when you know that he's your king, when you know that he's not just your king, but he's your father, then you can come into his presence with trembling, trembling of joy and the trembling of amazement and the trembling of awe-filled, just joy that makes you want to run closer to him rather than shrink back and hide away. You see, this is a bigness, a godness that makes you want to rest in him when you're clean and wrapped up. But it's only his goodness that can do that. It's only Jesus that can rescue you and save you and make you ready to come and enjoy his clean and good presence. So do you know that today? Have you come to Jesus with all of your darkness and mess and given it to him? Because he willingly says, just like you might have heard in marriage services before, he says, all that I have, I give to you, all of my goodness and beauty. And all that you have, I'll take it. We're supposed to say to him, all that I have, all of my mess and brokenness and darkness, I give it to you. All that I have, I share with you. And then he does that great swap, gives us his goodness and welcomes us into his presence, to his father. That's what we're made for, you see, Um, to know this king. There's one more thing. What about the future? This is another thing that we sing about. This is in um, the, the kind of second half of the psalm. The king who reigns. And how does he reign? He reigns with justice. He's the one who judges. He's the one who... All of creation just cannot wait for him to put things right. See, that's what this is about. This is about God ruling as a king, about him coming back in the future to put everything right, to judge the living and the dead, to sweep away evil, and to put everything right, to wipe away every tear and bring his goodness to reign forever. There's these um, storybooks, you might well know of them, called the Narnia Chronicles, written by a man called C.S. Lewis. And they're stories that... Um, that that have lots of echoes of this story, of the Christian story. It's a story about a world of talking animals. And the first book, anyway, this world of talking animals is under the reign of this evil witch queen who's banished summer and left the world bound in ice and snow and just eternal, never-ending winter. Can you imagine what that would be like? Some of the animals describe it as always winter, but never Christmas. It's beautiful if you're there for a few minutes, but then it's miserable after a while. And the animals are longing for the king to come home, the real true king. He's this great lion called Aslan. He's the true king of Narnia, and they're waiting for him to come back. And they have this poem that keeps them going, that keeps them persevering through tough times. And it goes like this. Wrong will be right when Aslan comes in sight. At the sound of his roar, sorrow will be no more. When he bears his teeth, winter meets its death. And when he shakes his mane, we will have spring again. Do you know that that's not just a story? I mean, the Narnia Chronicles are, but they're pointing towards the true fact that there is a day in the future when Jesus, the great king, will come home, will come back to this world, and he'll judge all evil and sweep it all away. And he'll, he'll make it shrivel and die, all of the evil and darkness, so that good can flourish, so that people can flourish as we were meant to. Is that a day that you can look forward to, to see Jesus? Is that a day that you can look forward to, 
Or is it the day that still strikes fear into your heart? Well, if, if it's something that makes you afraid, then you need to come to Jesus and ask him for forgiveness. Put all of your life into his hands and ask him to give you joy to look forward to that day. Because it is a day full of joy, isn't it? For even the animals and the trees and the plants and the seas and the skies and everything, that's at the end of this psalm. All of creation is just longing for that day, looking forward to the day when this king brings forgiveness and cleanness and warmth. This king who stores up gladness and joy, who's so good and so worthy, even the stars and the fields and the fish can't help, to, can't help but praising him. That's what even creation looks forward to. Are you looking forward to that day? Have you joined in with that song? that this psalmist is saying, that the creation is looking forward to singing, that Christians are singing. Well, we're going to pause for a moment and just reflect on that. And I want you to, as we listen to this next song, um, just to ask, have I joined in this song? Is this something that I can sing? Have I stood in the cleanness, the goodness that Jesus gives me, walked into his presence, sat down at his table and started singing of him to the world around me? Have I joined in this song? Is this the song that my life sings? Let's pause and think about that for a moment. God of creation, there at the start, before the beginning of time. No point of reference You spoke to the dark And fleshed out the wonder of life And as you speak A hundred billion galaxies are born In the vapor of your breath The planet And if the stars amaze the worship so loud, I can see your heart in everything you make. Every burning star signal fire grace. And if creation sings your praises so
Chase down my heart through all of my failure and pride. On a hill you created, the light of the world, abandoned in darkness to die. And as you speak, a hundred billion fairies disappear Well, you lost your life so I could find it here And if you left the grave behind you so alive I can see When we thought about the song, the song of this great king, I want us to pause for a minute and think about the singers and why it is they're singing. What is it that they want? Well, they want the whole world, every tribe, every nation, every person, even the ground underneath their feet. They want everything to come and sing praises to this God because he's worth it. And because that's the thing that will give them most joy. That's what they were made for. I wonder if that's a desire that you and I have, that we know that there's far too much goodness in this God to fit on my plate. We just, we know he's too glorious for just us in Ammonford Evangelical Church. We, we know that he deserves the worship and adoration of every life in Ammonford, of every person in Flanderbeer and Tikros and Brinaman and in between and beyond, round to the other ends of the earth. We know that every person in the world needs to know him, that they were made for that, that they'll be happiest when they find their deepest joy in him and in his song. So what's our strategy to make that happen? What's the strategy of the people in the psalm? Well, I mentioned it already. It's quite a simple one, but maybe strange. It's not that they go shouting at the nations, shouting at people to, to tell them to come and know this God. It's that they go singing. That's our strategy, that we sing to the world with our lips and our lives, that we declare and tell people about his salvation, that he's rescued us. That we tell them that he, he's the one who made us and they made him and made us for himself. That we go and sing and tell them all about the, the glorious future and the hope that we have in Jesus. That's our strategy at Christmas time, is to sing with our lips and our lives. So how do we do that? Well, we could do it in a number of different ways. And we can do it um, with our lives. Think about that first of all. So how do our lives sing? Well, they sing when we offer 
everything to God. That was in verse 8, wasn't it? Um, that we offer ourselves to God as he's offered everything to us, as he's given us his own son. We offer all of our lives in open hands back to him. How does that sing to the world around us? How does that show us how great and precious God is? Well, think about it. When you take things that are so precious to you, hold them in open hands and give them to the Lord, even your own life, your time, your family and everything. And you say, Lord, these are in open hands for you to do with whatever you will. And people look at us and if they're paying attention, I guess, will say, you're giving something that big to God. Well, you're either insane or stupid or, or he's really worth it. You're giving up something so big to him and it seems like you're not losing out. I mean, it hasn't crushed you. So there really must be something bigger than the thing that you're giving to him. I mean, that seems to be a pretty big thing to be giving away. So he must be even bigger and even more satisfying to make that worthwhile. So who is this God who's worth giving up your life for? See, that sings to people. I remember hearing a story of um, students about 100 years ago, I think in Cambridge University, who had a friend who wanted to go to Canada to share the good news of Jesus with people over there and start student groups. And they didn't have much money, so they sold their sports equipment. They even sold their hockey sticks and all kind of stuff like that in order to buy a ticket, a one-way ticket, and a, a big winter furry coat for him. You'd need that in Canada, don't you? To go to Canada and share the good news with people. And he didn't come back. He carried on all the way across Canada and then traveled down to New Zealand and Australia and started up student groups in universities around there, sharing the good news of Jesus. They knew that even though those things were quite precious and useful and, and, um, and worth a fair bit of money, that those things were worth giving up to, to take the good news of Jesus to the ends of the earth. See, that's something that sings to the people around us and draws them in to say, what's really worth giving up all of that for? You could think about it in another way. Our lives as a church family, as a, um, as a kind of church community, can sing to the world around us. Jesus said, by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. If you love one another. So do we love one another in our church? Do our words and attitudes show that? Are we good at saying sorry quickly when we, when we get things wrong? Are we good at forgiving people 70 times, seven times, as Jesus says? Do our relationships, the, beautiful, the beauty of our relationships, say, make people say, where does that love come from? Where does that love come from? I've never seen anything like that in this world before. You see, our lives can sing and invite people in, but also our lips can as well. I mean, literally, as we're singing, maybe it be, would be an idea, even in the winter, to open the windows of our sitting rooms when we're singing at home and, um, and pour out God's praises so that the world can hear and come and listen. I remember being on a train um, in Slovakia with some students. We were kind of keeping ourselves to ourselves, reading, a bit, being a bit quiet. And then we started to hear singing down the other end of the carriage. It was a really long journey. So a few of the students went to see who it was and discovered it was some other Christians who they didn't know um, and started sitting down and singing with them. And then a few people in the seats around, I guess the people who weren't being annoyed by them, started asking, what is it you're singing about? And so they had really good, I mean, hours on this long train journey to talk to them about Jesus public singing, people hearing us literally singing, can often be a way that, that, or a thing that makes people ask questions about where that kind of joy comes from. But even if we're not literally singing, we can still sing the praises of things, don't we? We do that with a great goal we've seen um, a video of online, or with a new author we've, we've discovered, or a recipe that we've tasted. We want to sing its praises and share it with other people, but we often don't do that much with Jesus. I wonder if it's because 
maybe we haven't really tasted much of his goodness. Or maybe it's just because we're shy and we're not really sure people will want to hear about him. Well, what do we do in that case? How do we sing his praises, even when we're not literally singing? Well, we need to pray, don't we? We need to pray for God's boldness, for his courage. And then we need to think. We need to think like this psalmist thinks. Think about all sorts of things that God has done for us and then share them with others. You could think about what he's done in the past, uh, what he's, uh, ways that he's answered prayer, or maybe what he's been teaching you recently. Or what is it about the gospel, the good news that has just been coming, uh, coming to life with you recently? What has he done that you could maybe share with somebody else and tell them about? Or what about something about who he is? That's another thing we saw in the psalm, isn't it? Um, that he's reliable, that he's generous, that he's powerful, that he's, he's full of steadfast love. Maybe next time you're having a serious conversation with a colleague, you could say, well, this is what my God is like. He's full of steadfast love. Could I pray to that God for you? You could bring who he is into a conversation or maybe his promises, the future. Uh, what is it that God has promised you that has really been catching your imagination recently? Is it the, the hope of justice? Or is it the hope of comfort with every tear wiped away? Or is it that you are not afraid of death anymore because Jesus has risen from the dead? Well, whatever it is, what he's done, who he is, part of his promises, think about how you could maybe share that with somebody this week. So let's sing God's praises. I'm sure it'll be awkward to begin with, but it might just be the start of somebody moving towards Jesus, of somebody moving towards being a part of the glorious future that God promises to us, of somebody coming to that table, sitting down and tucking in with us and knowing life. So let's worship him with our lips and our lives, with heart, soul, mind and strength, looking forward to the day when we'll stand with people from every tribe and tongue and nation around his throne and sing of the one who died for us. Amen.